of progress sometimes. Sometimes that we get so caught up in progress and so caught up in the rat race or so caught up in uh, always chasing this endless goal of improvement that we forget what is really important to us in the first place. I want to talk to you a little bit today. uh, The title of the message is Broadband. I want to talk to you a little bit about what broadband is. I'm hoping that most of you have access to broadband in one way or the other. Because I just have to say this, broadband changed my life. It it changed me forever. And I want to share with you the beauty and excitement of broadband or DSL, so to speak. How many of you guys remember in the late 90s when the Internet came to our local homes? All of us were on dial-up. And you would be in the middle of this heartfelt email, and you'd be writing it, and all of a sudden, I don't know if you remember this or not, but as you're sharing your deepest heartfelt emotions via email, all of a sudden you get knocked off and lose everything. Dial-up was painfully slow. I remember uh, Beth and I, we were living in Madison, and we had a condo there when we were first married, and we had a two-bedroom condo, and we uh, set up a home office for her because she would, the company she worked with would often let her work from home and so forth. She was making the big bucks then. This girl's smart, I'm telling you. I need to put you back to work. I'm just joking. She's working now. But when you're a junior high youth pastor, you need something to subsidize. So my mom and dad subsidized my income. Then I got married to someone who had a good job. That's not the reason I married you, but it just was a benefit. Um, so I remember we set up our home office, and, and it was just a big investment. We decided, listen, we are going to put another phone line in. So then when someone calls us, it won't knock us offline. And that was such an exciting day. I mean, when we had a dedicated phone line to the Internet. And any time of the, of the day or night, you could walk by and see if you had an email. But even then, even then, you had to keep you know, hitting that number again, and I can remember that sound now, the dial-up sound. I'm not going to try it here. But that sound is of the devil. Because with broadband, DSL, now, and the internet is always on. Some of you who don't have it yet, you're like, wow, I need to go call my local company. Uh, Let me just caution you. Once you go to broadband, there is no going back after that. So think this through. The kids might be starving and need new shoes, but you're going to pay that 50 bucks to get broadband because once you cross the line and you make a commitment to the high-speed Internet, it's all over. You are a user for life. That was a life-changing experience for me. And... It was like the Internet. We were all on the Internet highway going 35 miles an hour. And when we moved from dial-up to broadband, it's the same highway, the same road, but now we're going 150 miles an hour. Just a total, total change. And really in life, there's been a lot of changes like that. Some of you who have had some more years than me, maybe you're thinking about things like that that just changed everything. One of the most exciting days for me in the last two years and Beth can testify to this, I was ecstatic when 386 extension opened. My office was in downtown Gallatin at the time. 
And dude, it was one of the most exciting things that happened to me because now I could get to work faster. And the speed, we could get there faster. The problem is this. With, with new speed, you can think of anything in life. We're using broadband as an illustration today. But anything else that increases the speed in your life, it brings new opportunity. And, and if you're taking notes, I want you to take the back of your bulletin. And, and we're going to use as our analogy today that broadband represents opportunity. And when we, as, as most of us have made that change from dial-up to broadband in the last 10 years, uh, that it has opened whole new doors of opportunity. You can download, download more video. You can upload more video. You can view more pictures. There's more you can do. You can work faster. With new speed opens new opportunity. And we can begin to uh, share that analogy with anything in life. Uh, with, with new speed, the faster our transportation gets, fa- from trains to planes to automobiles, not quite in that order, but you know that there's something, for some reason I just said it that way. But uh, with all of those things, with new speed came new opportunity uh, that our country began to connect geographically as now we've connected with the world. Speed comes opportunity. Broadband's going to represent our opportunity. And new opportunities help us reach places we never thought possible. And I think about my own life. I think about my own life that, you know, I've already had the opportunity to do things that my parents and grandparents and great-grandparents never got to do. I've been to several countries in Europe. I've been able to travel more. I've been able to go to, I counted up the other day, maybe 30-something states here in our nation. I think about the house I live in now. You know, to some of you it might be a modest house, but to me it's the nicest home I've ever lived in. And I'm, I'm a young man and, and just a great home I get to provide my family and and I do that because of the investments of my parents in me and my grandparents in me. But there's new opportunity, and, and we have more opportunity to travel than we ever have before. We have access to information, and our kids are getting pushed uh, in the education realm. I know this because my daughter Abby's been ill, and she's here with me today. She's in third grade. Can you stand up? This is, this is my joy here, eight-year-old Abby. She is awesome. And Abby, this is true. When I helped you with your homework and your math homework, <laughs> yeah, did you hear that? She said, you had trouble, and she's not lying. So, so now, you know, even my children, we're getting pushed more, and we're pushing the limits, and there's a lot of positive to that. There really is. I mean, I believe in progress, and I believe that each generation should, should advance beyond the generation before. I know that's why I'm a parent, and that's what I want to see in my children. But the opportunities, the speed that we have, speed broadband representing opportunities, gives us not only great opportunity, but it gives us expectations. And expectations that we often don't think we can reach. See, when I first got on the Internet and I moved faster, you would think that would cause me to do my work better. You would think that it would cause me to do the things I was already doing in a more efficient way. But what I've found with new opportunity and with new speed, it often meant new distractions. I was playing games and doing entertainment and and doing things that I've never been able to do on the Internet before. And so, really, it didn't just make what I already did happen faster like it should have. It actually opened doors to new distractions. And if you stick with me here in this analogy, I want to talk to you a little bit about opportunity because opportunity is going to come your way. Opportunity is going to come your way. And opportunity has the incredible capacity to help push forward who you already are 
and define who you already are, or opportunity, if you're not careful, can be a distraction from who you really want to be. Because every opportunity that comes doesn't mean it's the right opportunity for you. Here is the truth. In technology, in advancements, and also in life itself, the same thing, now listen closely to the statement, the same things that often bring improvement can also bring imbalance. The very things that that are supposed to improve our lives, that are supposed to help us, can bring to us a measure of imbalance. And that's why we have to look at opportunities and sanctify them. Put them under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Put them under His leadership. Because it usually isn't the opportunity that's the problem. It's our attitude towards it. It's our choices. It's our way of... of, uh, of choosing whether we're going to live our priorities, to live our core values, to live who you are. So here's the first thing I want you to write down if you're taking notes, the back of your bulletin. Don't let new opportunities distract you from your focus. Don't let whatever is new and whatever is flashy and whatever is exciting, if it can enhance who you already are, great. But if it distracts you from what's really important, if it takes you away from what you really care about, and most importantly, if it takes you away from what God has called you to do, just because it's a good opportunity for everyone else doesn't mean it's a good opportunity for you. Well, let's break this down, because I kind of worked with that word focus a lot. You know, don't let it distract you from your focus. At first I said, don't let it distract you from your core values, or don't let it distract you from your essentials. Um, And here's what I'm getting at. Whatever you want to choose, you, you, you can choose the word, I, I settle with focus, but if you want to choose essentials or core values or whatever it is, the question is, what's your focus? And for Christians, I can define right now what our focus should be. Now, we all should have four or five focuses in our life, four or five core values in our life. All right? Let's say we all have those. But I'm going to take two, and I'm going to define two of those for everybody in here, if, you're, if you follow Jesus Christ. The other three... You can decide for yourself. But Jesus made this clear already. It's in Matthew 22. I asked you to turn there early, earlier. Matthew chapter 22. And if we look at verse 34, Jesus is teaching and responding to accusations from the Sadducees. And he says, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. And one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, What is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Let's put the pause button on. Can I tell you that's the number one focus of your life? Every single one of you. Every single one of you. If you want to follow Jesus Christ and if you want to be a believer in Him, you can only have three, four, five focuses in your life. And you already, I'm taking away one of them right now. And that's what Jesus said. It, the greatest thing you can do is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Now go to verse 38. This is the first and greatest commandment. Now 39 says, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. 
Do you realize the power of that passage right there? Can I tell you, that is how we judge spirituality. And I have taught, I've been reflecting on something. I have taught comprehensively about spiritual disciplines. And I have a whole curriculum that I even wrote from some writings that, that I read about um, you know, Bible reading and prayer and solitude and fasting and meditation and all these things. And I hope to share that with you at one time. But here's the problem for me is that I used to judge my spirituality on how much of those I did and not the product those were supposed to produce. Here is what being spiritual is. It's really simple. You love God and you love people. Period. Now, obviously there's other ramifications. There's family rules. There's defined sins in the Bible that we must avoid and and eliminate from our life. But, you know, I I ask people a lot, and and maybe part of this is my fault for even things I've taught in the past. How are you doing spiritually? And our first response is, "Um, I've been reading my Bible lately. Or my prayer life's okay. And, and, and it's good. I mean, I believe in daily Bible reading. It's so important. And daily prayer is so effective. But I know that, at least in my personal life, that I was reading my Bible, check, praying, check, but I wasn't loving people God wanted me to love. And so the exercise and the discipline was not producing the fruit. See, for some of us, we're so regimented and like we're like, we've got to get this 30 minutes with God. Maybe the most spiritual thing you need to do is to go down and do the dishes for your wife that day and love her that way. And God's calling you to be a servant that morning. I'm just trying to open your mind a little bit because I think we've gotten so regimented of, of like spirituality is 30 minutes we give to God or an hour we give to God instead of the 24 that is his. And it's not either or, it's both. It's both doing both of those together. But that is the focus of our life. Are you loving God more? And are you loving other people more? That is the focus of our life. And so when new opportunities come, are they going to distract you from that? What can distract you from this focus? Write it down if you're taking notes. A, sin. Everybody's like, no kidding, Aaron. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay here for a second. Because there's a whole lot of difference between knowing sin will affect your life, but living like sin will affect your life. There's a huge difference. Psalms 32. I want you to turn to Psalms chapter 32. You know, all the time I run into people, and me, myself, and all of us, we are tired, we're wore down, we're, we're exhausted. There's various reasons that that could happen, physical reasons, psychological reasons, time management reasons. But I want to suggest to you another reason that we often overlook. And I believe the Scripture says it clearly here in Psalm 32. Verse 1, it says, Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit is no deceit. Now here's the part I want you to clue in, verse 3. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Let's Let's take a moment to pause there. I believe that many of you, the reason that you are in constant exhaustion 
and you're always worn down is because you are walking in sin and the fact that you won't repent of that sin it is literally taking away your physical strength. James chapter 1 says, a double-minded man, that means a person who is sometimes with God and sometimes with the world, a double-minded man is unstable in all he does. Is unstable in all she does. I also believe that some of our psychiatric problems happen because we're halfway with God and halfway with the world. Now, I'm not a psychologist, but I'm a preacher, and I know what the Scripture says. It says if you're double-minded, you're unstable in all you do. If you're sometimes with God and sometimes with the world, it's going to negatively affect every part of your life. And look here at that Scripture again. Verse 4, when you're walking, when you've tasted of the goodness of God and you've tasted of the Spirit of God, and yet you choose to sin... I've been there before in verse 4. Day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sat as in the heat of summer. Can't we all, we're all imagining that scenario now when the, the, the last two summers here in Tennessee have been very harsh and that 95 plus, I mean, you just hit a new level. I mean, you just walk out from your, from your office to the car and you're, you're ready to take a nap the rest of the day. And, and what an analogy the Scripture gives us. But look at verse 5. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgress- transgressions to the Lord. And you, I love this line, forgave the guilt of my sin. Is that not a beautiful line? You didn't just positionally forgive my sin. You forgave the guilt of my sin and restored things. So sin can distract you from your focus. Here's the second the B, the second thing I want to talk about. It's pride. Fill that in if you're taking notes. Pride. We touched about we touched on this a couple of weeks ago when we were in the Daniel series, but I want to say it again. Success and accomplishment are a great test of our character. Proverbs 16, 18 says this, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride will set you up for a fall. And pride comes very in very subtle ways. The problem is with pride is we're too prideful to recognize we have pride. So it's a problem. That's why we have to continue to submit ourselves to God. We get a job promotion. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. The power changes us, changes the way we are. We get more money. And more money is a good thing to have. I like to have more money. But with money and affluence, it gives you more options. So you can skip church when you want to. Why? Because you get money to travel. People who don't have money, church is their entertainment. I'm not saying money is bad. See, that's what I'm saying. The opportunity is not bad. Money is not bad. But it is bad if you lose your focus. It is bad that if it distracts you from who you already are. You have more money, so you can send your kids to sports camp. They don't go to church camp anymore. You have more money, so you can do whatever you choose. And and those things aren't bad. I'm just saying the options they give you. The options can distract you from the focus of who you are. Becoming a parent. Becoming a parent. That can make you prideful. Because then all of a sudden you, you think you have the right to judge everyone and their parenting skills. This is something that I've seen happen. You, it, it happened when I was uh, on a condo homeowners association. <laughs> you put someone on the board of directors, whether it's 
a condo homeowners association, our church board. Of course, this does not apply to our church board, so none of you guys out there feel paranoid. But I've seen it happen, especially talking to my friends who are pastors. You put someone on a board that they're supposed to serve, and all of a sudden, the pride. They become an expert in everything in the world. They know every detail about everything there is to be. It's a distraction from the core of who they are. And biblical knowledge. You begin to have exposure to new teachers and to new teaching. And then all of a sudden, the basic Christian doctrines and teachings, they're not really good enough. I don't really want to hear about redemption. I need something deeper. Pride. Can I tell you that because of my sinfulness, I never get tired of hearing the redemption story. And I discover more about it all the time. I discover more about it all the time. It becomes more reality in my life. In worship, we, we get exposed to this complex worship music. You know, do you know that if you go to iTunes now, worship music is its own genre? I mean, worship artist, worship genre, its own music. And so we, we become complicated in our taste. And it's like, ooh, I like that bridge. I like that guitar lick. I like that style. Who do you like as a worship leader? I like this guy. I like that girl. Well, what about just singing a love song to God? See, see what I'm saying? That, that which is good, that which is good, I like improvement in music, but that which is good that should bring us improvement actually distracts us from who we should really be. What about the fullness of the Holy Spirit? We receive the gifts and we operate in these things called gifts because they come from God. We don't earn them. They're gifts. Then all of a sudden we become prideful. We think our type of church is better than that type of church. We begin to think we're more spiritual than the pastor because he should have manifested a gift there. And, and then, you know, those types of things. And, and there's a subtle pride that comes that can distract us from who God wants us to be. We get exposed to Christian speakers. And all of a sudden, we only listen to those speakers. And now our life group, our 242 group leader, they're not spiritual enough. They're not good enough. They're not deep enough. Can you see what I'm trying to say here? Is how subtle that can happen and how it can take us off our focus. Things that are good in themselves... All the things I mentioned are good to bring speed to your life, to bring improvement to your life. But if they take you off center, they don't improve who you already are. They distract you and take you away. And here's, here's the thing that's really hard to discern sometimes. Write it down in your notes. Good things God hasn't called you to. Good things God hasn't called you to. And I've really, really struggled with this. I've struggled with this in my life. I remember when when we started the church in Texas and we didn't have any youth. We had like one one or two, one youth and we tripled, went to three, praise God. Um, and really, that was those were some of my greatest youth, my greatest ministry times, just having a small youth group to nurture and to, and to love. But I decided to volunteer with our local Young Life chapter. I had been in Young Life when I was in high school. My heart was right. I wanted to reach more kids. I wanted to be involved in what was going, but the problem was, is I was working as the church administrator 50, 50 hours a week. I was also driving a school bus to supplement our income. Me and the pastor, we both drove a school bus, and I had this great wife and this new baby. I'm glad you're here today. And even though young life was good, and my motives were good, and I could have justified that it would be good to be involved, it was not good for me. You see the difference? See, many times we, we, we lose our focus. We lose our core value. We lose who we're supposed to be because all these opportunities are good. They might be good, but God might not be in them. 
And if you look at me, this, this really remarkable scripture in Acts 16, I'm so glad Jesus came to earth. Because Jesus is such a greater example to me than, um, frankly, other ministers. Uh, Jesus lived uh, a relaxed life. He spent 30 years in preparation. And then in the three years of focus, that's all he had. It's three years. It's all God chose for him to do. He took time to go to weddings. He had dinner with friends. He actually avoided crowds to, to do mentoring. All the things that we, we often don't take time to do, he stayed centered on his focus. And he was a great example. Now, Paul encountered this too. This is a really interesting scripture. Acts chapter 16. It says, Paul and his companions, this is in verse 6, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Frigeria and Galatia. Now, look at this. Having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. But there's lost people in the province of Asia. we got to go. Each one's got to win one. If we don't go, what's going to happen? The need is there. The opportunity is right. You can justify it. You can explain it. But the Holy Spirit said no. Is that not a remarkable statement? The Holy Spirit prevented them from doing something that in the natural could have been a good thing, but in the supernatural, that's not where God was moving. That was not what he was doing. When they came to the border of Messiah, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Messiah and went down to Troas. And there's so many historical ramifications of that. God was definitely into that. So here's what we need to do. And here's the second point. We need to use new opportunities to strengthen, not dilute your focus. When new opportunities come, you have to decide, either as an individual or decide with your spouse, and especially decide with the help and guidance of the Holy Spirit. Is this going to strengthen who God has called me to be? Is this going to cause me to love the Lord more? And is going to cause me to love other people more? See, those are the two for everybody else. But for the other three, you can name your three. For me, is it going to help me in my calling here with the church at Indian Lake? Is it going to help me with my calling to mentor young people? Is it going to help those things? The four or five things that I have in my life. Is it going to help strengthen who I already am and who God has made me to be and what God has called me to do? Or is it going to somehow dilute, just like being on the Internet, instead of being on the word processor or Excel, you're playing video games and doing goofy stuff that doesn't add to your life. It just takes takes away. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 7 through 9. Paul said it this way. He was very focused. He said, after I go through Macedonia, I will come to you, for I will be going through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay there with you a while, or even spend the winter. I'm in verse 7 now of 1 Corinthians chapter 16. So that you can help me on my journey whenever I go. Now listen to 7. I don't want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. But I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost, because... Here's a key phrase. A great door for effective work has opened to me. He would have loved to have spent time with the people in Ephesus. But verse 9, excuse me, with with the people of the previous city in Macedonia. But verse 9, but a great door for effective work has opened for me. 
God, when you begin to focus on what God has called you to do, and you stay true to your goals and who you are, then you will know what opportunities are open doors from God and what others are just distractions. Because can I tell you that when God begins to open doors, there is a yes in your spirit. You say, yes, this is what I've been preparing for. Yes, this is what God has been opening up for me. Yes, this door is open, and it is God. I haven't had to strain. I haven't had to, 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 to knock a door over. And, and, and let me qualify that by saying the whole thing of waiting and initiative. You know, I talk about that a lot. I'm not saying you shouldn't show some initiative. Lord knows we need some more initiative in life. But I'm just saying there's those moments in life that there's just a door that's open. And just like Paul said, yes, this is true to me. There is a door for effective work that has opened for me. So this is what we need to do. Here's a third thing. Let God be your opportunity filter. Let God be your opportunity filter. We know that, too, uh, there's a lot of dark things on the Internet. There's a lot of dark corners. And so you can, you can go and you can set, you know, I'm unfortunately, when you first start getting emails, you're like, what in the world is all this spam all about? So you can go into your internet options and you can change your security and you can have a filter. There's other things, there's other tools, Integrity Online or the Triple X Church. Those are tools that can help filter some of the things that shouldn't be on the internet. It's important that you have those type of filters if that's a temptation in your life. Let the Holy Spirit, let God be your opportunity filter. Because all these opportunities are going to come with you with great speed. All these chances, and, and, and as you advance in leadership, as you grow as a leader, you'll get more opportunities. You'll have more chances. You'll have more things. And you have to stay true to who you are. Colossians 3.15. I love this scripture. And I, I want our musicians to come forward at this time, or, or uh, Penny to come forward and Beth to come with her. I love Colossians 3.15. This is one of the scriptures that a lot of sermons, like you'll hear the scripture again because this has been such a, a revolutionary concept in my life. Verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. We read this passage during worship today. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And that word rule is let, let him be the umpire. Let the peace of God say, yes, that's a great opportunity for you. And then the peace say, no. You know, everyone can say, well, this is a great chance for you. This is a great opportunity. You need to do this. Look what, look what you have. But if the peace of God is not on that situation, his peace is ruling in your life and he's saying no to that opportunity. Not your time, not your place. This isn't for you. But yet, there can be other opportunities that in the natural it's not a big deal, but there's a peace. God's saying, yes, this is you. This is a fit. This is what I prepared you for. Go forward. His peace rules. His peace is an umpire. His peace helps us helps us to manage those things. I believe this. I believe God's going to send opportunity your way. I believe that the days are drawing to an end. The, the day of the Lord is near. The coming of the Lord is near. And we need to move forward. I believe we need to move forward with speed. We need to move forward and start chasing the things of God in our life. We need to put actions to our steps. We need to take that big step between a dream and a reality. The biggest step in life. So I'm saying let's go. Let's go for it. But do it under His leadership. Let the peace of God rule your life. Let Him be your umpire. And stay focused on those things. Maybe this week, maybe this week you can spend some time filling in that four or five things in your life. I know what they are for me, but for all of us, we know what the first two are. To love God and love people. There's nothing greater.